Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have Marlene Brostrom, who is the project manager for Higher Reach. Welcome, Marlene. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm excited to get into our conversation. But before we do that, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm very excited about our topic. So uh, my name is Marlene Brostrom. I am with our region's workforce systems called West Michigan Works. So I'm a project manager for that program that you talked about, Lindsay, called Higher Reach. And essentially what we do is we work with organizations to help them with their pre-hire, hire, and selection process, really helping make the hiring process a little bit more efficient and more effective, especially in these tight and changing labor market conditions. Mm-hmm. So I know that skills-based hiring is something that you're very knowledgeable about, something that you have seen success with. So tell me a little bit about your work in skills-based hiring. Sure. Yeah. So that's the whole intent of our program. So that skills-based hiring is a good, you know, quick high-level term to explain what it is, but it's essentially helping employers with the decision of selecting talent, using skills as a way to assess and measure people and really help the organization understand what makes a good fit for their workforce, for their jobs. Amazing. So one thing that um, we discussed when we first connected was how COVID shifted everything uh, within the workforce. Can you kind of explain how that trend happened and what we're seeing now? Sure. Yeah. And I think it, it'll be helpful if you don't mind. I'm going to go back a little bit to skills-based hiring as it kind of leads into this topic of, of COVID and kind Absolutely. of what's happening. So if you think about skills-based hiring or even when an organization hires, it's a decision, right? And if you think about making decisions in your personal, professional life, you usually gather some data, some information, you talk to someone knowledgeable, you do some research. And in the hiring process, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what skills-based hiring is trying to do. Now, it's been a little bit more difficult, and it's really been a change for employers and how they hire. And that is due to the labor market. COVID also had an impact. But what a lot of people perhaps maybe don't understand is it's not 100% due to COVID. These things in the labor market were happening for a while. Um, And there's some good research out there. I think one of them is called MSI demographic drought. And they talked about, you know, if you think about the labor market and what has happened is long time ago when the baby boomers first entered the the labor force, right? There was a good sheer, I mean, there was just a sheer huge number of population of the baby boomers. Women were entering the workforce at an unprecedented amount. And and this, this workforce here had a high educational attainment. So employers could be very picky with how they hired for talent, right? It was, there was more demand than there were, there was more supply than there was demand. So that made sense. So employers would say, well, how can we screen? How can we narrow down the pool a little bit more easily? And that was with these education, this, you know, credentials, degrees, things of that nature. Now what's happened since, and again, COVID has since really, you know, accelerated it was to go, you know, the baby boomers are starting to retire. We've had a good number of baby boomers retire in 2020. About 2 million women left the workforce between 2020 and 2022, so during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the birth rate is low. So you have all these things that really impacted demand. COVID accelerated it with all the, you know, the ebbs and flows of COVID shutting down. No, we need to hire people. People want to work remote. And so employers are now faced with there is less supply, but we still have demand. So employers have said we do have to change the way we hire we can't just blanketly say, hey, we need anyone that's got a, you know, we're going to use a degree as a way to screen. we got to get better understanding, you know, who makes a good fit for our organization, um, what skills do we need? And really, it, it's turned into, and again, COVID accelerated 
this as a human capital economy, right? People are the most important asset and there's less of them than there was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So employers are really having to adopt it and change the way they hire, which that's hard to do when you've been doing something the same way for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I admire about you is that you are ready with stats and facts. And I, I love it. Um, and because I'm very similar. And as you were speaking, I kind of noticed, you know, with a you know freelance economy, I noticed that it also is very similar because that is a skills-based position. And I noticed that companies, you know, studies have shown that as the freelance economy has grown and as COVID has disrupted everything, companies are also looking for skills-based for, um, in contractors too. So I feel like in so many aspects, skills are being prioritized right now. They really are. And that's not to say too, I think it's important to mention, this isn't to say college degrees are bad or they're not needed anymore. I mean, they're absolutely needed for certain positions. Um, But what we really say is, you know, for organizations to really revisit your job description, right? Maybe they haven't been updated in 10, 20, 30 years and employers kept adding degrees or maybe we want this qualification, we want this certification. And so I say you really have to understand and dive into what makes a good hire. And there is a lot of research, and um, I'm glad you enjoy facts and stats um, too, Lindsay. There was this huge meta-analysis done, and for anyone that's interested, it's by two gentlemen, Hunter and Schmidt, and they analyzed the way employers make hiring decisions, and they assessed a number of you know tools or pieces of data you can gather on someone. And actually, education and years of experience are further down the list in, in skills oh, wow. on like foundational competencies, you know, your ability to critical think, problem solve, customer service, teamwork, those actually make, you know, a better hire. And, and that makes sense. I think you've probably had that, Lindsay. I know I have maybe a coworker or someone you've managed where you go. You can really tell the difference between someone who's an average performer and someone who's a high performer. And it's not typically things like, oh, they knew how to use the software better. or They knew how to, you know, run this machine. Instead, it was, gosh, they had great customer service. They really were a team player. They went above and beyond. They can problem solve. So em- employers are starting to learn, you know, how do I assess that? And, and that's hard to do by just looking at a resume. Yeah. And one thing, you know, you mentioned that there's more room for people that don't have uh, four-year degrees. There's, you know, there's now more of an equal playing field if someone has the skills um, needed to perform a job. So can you talk a little bit about how skills-based hiring kind of levels the playing field, helps reduce bias? Sure. Yeah, And I love this topic. So I always feel like, you know, in workforce, there's really these two ends of the spectrum, right? If And people who aren't familiar with the workforce system, it, this is an oversimplification, but you've got job seekers on one side, right? And they are trying to get into the world of work, figure out what's the right role for them. How do I advance my career? Maybe what education training do I need? And then on the other hand, you have these employers that are going, how do we get a better workforce? How do we bring people in? How do we develop them? How do we grow them? And so the job is to try to make all this work together in this nice little talent workforce ecosystem. And skills-based hiring really does that, which is what's exciting to see. So we talked about from the employer perspective, really honing in on and understanding what makes a good hire, and that will help you with your turnover retention. And then from the job seeker standpoint, you know, if we're assessing based on skills, not let's say education background or someone's experience. Maybe someone didn't take that traditional path. You do open up the playing field. And I have um, some more stats for you here, Lindsay. I was just looking them up. Yes. The other day, but Harvard Business Review shared that 
60% of the U.S. workforce does not have a four-year degree. 76% of black workers do not have a degree. 83% of Latinx workers do not have a four-year degree. And then 81% of rural workers do not have a degree. And that's really important to say, you know, there's all these people that have different backgrounds, different learning experience that may still have the skills needed to do the job, but by employers, maybe not fully looking at their job description and just keeping that college degree on there because that's what they've done. You're eliminating a whole huge pool of people. So that should help open up, you know, people that are eligible to apply. And then again, the skills really helps people. Um, I think it was Opportunity at Work did this whole thing on individuals they called skilled through alternative routes. You know, not everyone has a traditional path of you go to high school, then you go to college, and then you go to work. Some people had to take a different path for for different reasons. And there's studies out there that say people actually gain more knowledge by learning on the job. So you might have had someone that's worked in a job for 10 years, doesn't have the college degree, but has the skills and experience needed. So that's one area. And then the other thing, and this is maybe getting a little bit further ahead or into the weeds, Lindsay, is about you talked about reducing bias in the hiring process. And I think what's fascinating to me is how you make decisions is a whole study in and of itself. And economists have studied it. But, you know, it, think about this. If you were to go to a doctor and they didn't use any tools, no data, no research to make an assessment on your health, that would make you very uncomfortable, right? To go, how can you right. diagnosis? You're not using the blood pressure, the EKG, CAT scans, blood tests, whatever. But yet in talent acquisition or human resources, we often expect organizations to make hiring decisions by simply meeting someone in an interview or looking at the resume. Yeah. And just yeah. by human beings who we are, we have unconscious bias. So I might mm-hmm. look at a resume and go, oh, that person went to U of M. I hate anyone who went to U of M. I'm a Michigan <laughs> State fan. Or, oh, they worked at this employer. I used to work there too. And then you immediately have this connection and this bias on how you feel about someone. And that's not always accurate. And I, I think mm-hmm. I'll reflect on even some of the interviews I've had. And I don't know, Lindsay, if you've had them too, where they may ask random questions. Like, if you could pick a color, what would you be? You know, if you could be a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> and the questions are always fascinating to go, why, like, what does that have to do with the job? And people may say, well, they can think on their feet. And what I would challenge to say is thinking on your feet, something that's needed for the job. If it is, maybe mm-hmm. there's other ways to assess it, but maybe it's not even needed for the job. So I think we have to be very careful about what data you're using to make decisions about applicants. And the whole concept behind skills-based hiring is you're, you're using different tools that are effective at looking at you know, what is someone's competency? What's their knowledge on something? What is their their cognitive ability? What are their personality like? What do they like to do in their job? And when you're getting all those pieces of data, just like with anything, you're, you're able to make a more informed decision. It's not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. more perfect, but you should get better the more pieces of data you have on someone. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that a portion or a challenge that um, is contributing to that is that a lot of people, leaders are really overwhelmed right now, so they can't really hunker down and focus on the best strategies. That's a very good point. And I feel like all of us probably feel that way, right? You're always asked to do more with less. Right? And that's, <laughs> that's part of life. I understand that. And I think our economy is so focused on improving productivity, continuous improvement, getting better. And and that's good. But at the same point, I think particularly in talent acquisition, right? And hiring HR, let's say, you know, think about what's happened in the labor market, right? So we talked about this, but over the last 10 years, the labor market's really getting tight. And then Mm -hmm. COVID, which a lot of the nuances of COVID 
transferred over to HR, right? So HR had to figure out, okay, these people, we now have to shut down. What happens to them? What happens to their unemployment? We have to bring people back. Now we have safety things we have to deal with. What's the leave of absence look like? What does our SIP policy look like? People want a remote work. So they're dealing mm-hmm. with not only trying to find people when there's not enough people out there. I think the latest research, and I don't know if this was just a Michigan number, or United States number, but there was 1.7 job openings for every person available. So they're already mm-hmm. dealing with that. And then I took yeah. the COVID dynamic. So it is really challenging, I think, for talent acquisition, HR, and then even for hiring managers, right? They have their own separate job to do. Many of the hiring managers don't hire day in and day out. They have their own job to do. Maybe it's yeah. running a line or supervising people. They're managing a process. So all of that does add into maybe a little bit more, you know, we can't be as robust and complex as we want to in the hiring process just because of capacity mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah. So what could, uh, I mean, this is not for you to solve a problem because I think this is a a problem that is maybe not completely solvable, easier said than done. So what would you recommend any tips to try to focus on those hiring practices to reduce bad hires? Sure. And that's a good question. And you're right. There isn't like the silver bullet, right? For what can solve it all. And I think what happens is people can get overwhelmed, right? Even I always use the analogy for weight loss. I don't know why it fascinates me, but you know, we all know there's certain things you need to do to lose weight. You got to work out, you should track your food, drink water, Mm -hmm. sleep, but sometimes that can feel overwhelming. So even any baby steps you can take. So we always Mm -hmm. with the hiring process, a couple things is to go, it doesn't have to happen overnight, right? Continuous improvement Mm -hmm. journey, maybe make some baby steps. I think strategically, Talent acquisition, I think hopefully now does, but has a seat at the C-suite table, right? So if people are the most important asset and it's a human capital economy, talent acquisition HR should be at the the conversations with the leaders, with the C-suites to start having those, what's our strategic plan? What does our growth look like? What is this workforce planning? And then talent acquisition can advocate for some of the resources and support they need. I think talent acquisition HR are more aware of what's happening in the labor market, but we see sometimes... The other leaders are not. And that makes sense, right? They, they don't live and breathe the labor market. They're managing other aspects yeah. of our business. But having everyone at the table so we all understand what's going out there with the market, what talent acquisition needs to be supported it is a huge thing. And then I think hopefully once, the, once those conversations are happening and talent acquisition can support the, you know, and align with the strategic plan, then from there, it's all about execution, operationalizing it. Um, ideally, we'd like to say if talent acquisition is big enough and has the capacity that they really serve as the center of excellence, right? It's kind of like what you mm-hmm. learned in you know economics early on, right? The person that's really good at doing one function should continue to do that because they're really good at it. So we'd say if you yeah. really want to focus on that, have talent acquisition be your expert in hiring, sourcing, building this robust process, and then partnering with the hiring manager to say, what do you need for the job? How can we work together? What does your department need? And they really work together as a partnership. Um, we think that helps add in a little bit more efficiencies and a little bit more effective, you know, process for hiring. Yeah. So what does that partnership look like on like a day-to-day basis or, um, and versus a, a big per, a big picture sure. uh, scenario? Yeah, I'm going to, um, Rely on the knowledge. So as part of our high reach team, we have someone, um, her name's Julie. She's phenomenal. She's done talent acquisition for years and she started running what we run in higher reach now at an organization 10, 20 years ago. And so what she often talks about, if, if we were to go through what a typical process would be, and this is ideal state, Lindsay, I understand that, you know, not all organizations may be able to do this, but you yeah. know, 
it's important for talent acquisition to understand, like we talked about, what is the organization? What's the culture like? What are our goals? What are our pillars? What, what, what are, what are we trying to achieve here over the next one year, two year, 10 years? And then from that to understand the department. So working with the hiring manager, talent acquisitions would say, what is your department like, right? What's the culture like? What does your team look like? And then you narrow down to understand the job. And this is where it gets really important to go, you know, to have those transparent conversations with the hiring manager to understand what makes a good hire, right? What is this job really needed to do? And that's usually this balance between, you know, a hiring manager might say something, talent acquisition can ask further, but the intent is to get on the same page. So talent acquisition has enough information to be able to source candidates. So after that partnership and that understanding and the information is gathered, talent acquisition would then go and, and work on their sourcing, right? Where do we need to go to get these applicants? Um, you know, who, who's been a successful talent pool from us in the past? And then you might even go into, all right, now talent acquisition is starting to assess individuals, right? Starting to gather that information to go, what are their skills? What are their competencies? Maybe if there's some educational requirements, and then they do some of the initial upfront screening because talent acquisition should be good at that. They should be able to assess the pool, mm-hmm. understand the tools, the assessments. And then once you've narrowed the pool down, then bring the hiring manager back in and say, hey, I, I've done some of the legwork for you based on the conversations and agreements we've had. Now all you have to do is interview these candidates and, and you make the final decision. So again, it's that true partnership, but letting talent acquisition focus on the things they're really good at and take care of some of that legwork. Because from an organizational standpoint, you need your hiring managers out there doing their jobs. You don't need them tied up in HR functions half of their half of their day. So yeah. that would be a, our typical ideal scenario for what we'd recommend and make adjustments based on each organization scenario. Mm-hmm. So I also want to connect, you know, the the topic of bias to. Uh, having everyone have a seat at the table because, you know, when it's just C-suite uh, leaders making those decisions, you know, statistically, those C-suite leaders are white and male. And like you said, there's that internalized bias, you know, oh, this person looks like me. Oh, I like how they dress. Um you know, so how can having a seat at the table kind of reduce that bias in the hiring process? Sure. And I think, you know, it's interesting. It's a lot of it too is about education, right? So if we talk about, mm-hmm. I think about skills-based hiring and we always say it shouldn't just be used for hiring, right? It should also be used for promotion internally from within, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes we see that a lot where let's say someone was a good salesperson. Well, they automatically get promoted to being a sales manager, but it's important to understand the competencies of doing sales are different than managing people and processes yeah. and some of those things. So we said, it's just as important to have a promotion process that kind of uses those concepts of skills-based hiring that you do for hiring. So I think Having that in place would help with what you talked about, right? Maybe people can be getting promoted. Mm-hmm. The C-suite often looks the same because unconsciously that person has a similar background. They look like me. Yeah. Those people get at the table. And, and what we find is talent acquisition, at least a lot of the organizations we've worked, has been doing a great job educating the C-suite, right? Just helping them understand, you know, you're not bad for having unconscious bias. Everyone has it, but let's be aware. Yeah. Let's make sure our processes are doing everything they can to mitigate the bias that we inherently all have. So I think it is yeah. a mixture of partnering with, you know, the C-suite to help them understand. And then also having some structure changes, right? How do we make promotion decisions? How do we make selection decisions? Who do we decide gets to have a seat at the table and why? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's important, at least for me personally, as someone who is a, a white leader, the more you recognize that, hey, this is something we all have, um, acknowledge it, do better, the less defensive you get, you know, uh, the more you you practice that recognition and acknowledgement, the easier it gets to, you know, you get that shock of, oh, I'm a bad person. No, it's not that you're a bad person. It's just that education can help you grow, like you mentioned. That's a very good point. And I do think some people have this, you know, this visceral reaction when you have these conversations about diversity, yeah. equity, and inclusion, or unconscious bias to go, we're not saying anyone's bad, but let, let's just have some yeah. increased education and awareness on this. And, you know, I think that there's two things to that is one, there is some training, right? So we always recommend, you know, recommend to organizations, you should be doing some training internally, right? So even if you have a process where you can bring in diverse talent, whatever that looks like, um, you know, you have to make sure your culture also is accepting and welcoming, you know, and inclusive. Yeah. So this is a, a couple part process, but I think you can do some training and awareness for staff, hiring managers, people that touch the hiring process, and then also having some structural changes, right? So we're all humans. We make errors. So anything we can do to to codify and have a process where we're just running the process. We have a standard operating process. It's based on data, consistency, objective. We're, we're collecting data that research has shown will help us do a better job at predicting Combine that with that education, that's going to make some significant impacts to decreasing, you know, bias in the hiring process. Absolutely. So with your job, you connect with many people leaders on a regular basis. So what are some trends and challenges that you see, um, you know, in those relationships? Sure. Yeah, we've worked, I think so far, we started this program in 20. Eight, end of 2018, I think we've worked with 40 plus organizations. And it's always fascinating, wow. Lindsay, because every organization will have similar challenges, but they're also different, right? And I think that depends on yeah. industry, the jobs, their capacity. I think when we started this journey, it was more about how do we do a better job, you know, weeding out the bad apples. That's a terrible term to say, but, you know, really identifying yeah. strong performers versus poor performers, who's going to be a, a star candidate for us. And what we're seeing now and this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier is to go some of the major challenges we've seen over the past 12 months has been we have to do a better job at having a quicker hiring process. We have to be able to not just weed people out, but instead, how do we do a better job at identifying who's got the best capability and the talent? So if mm-hmm. you're used to having 50 people apply and now you've got five people, you can't be as picky and you're not going to get the mm-hmm. candidate, right? Like you maybe used to maybe strive to get 10, 20 years ago. How do you really identify someone's capabilities? If they're not perfect right now, how do you understand who's going to be the best at being able to be trained, developed? So that's been a huge thing. And then I think capacity, like we talked about earlier, talent acquisition swapped. So anytime we work with them, most organizations want to do a better job at you know implementing some of these best practices, research into the selection process. But it's more a matter of we're putting out fires right now. We have so many vacancies we need to fill. So help us take some baby steps so we can get there. Um, but yeah, it's mainly capacity. And then how do we do a more efficient, effective job and, and making it easier for our talent acquisition team, right? I mean, we could gather data till we're blue in the face. And I think, mm-hmm. Lindsay, you know, it's one of these balancing acts where in order to have a better process and be more predictive, you want to gather as much pieces of data on someone as possible. Yeah. But you also have to balance it with what the market will accept as far as how long can a hiring process be? What do you, you know? How big is your candidate pool? So, you know, again, going back to the weight loss analogy, I know I should do all these things to lose weight. Maybe that's not realistic for my lifestyle right now with my kids and my family and my job. 
So I need to balance what works for me where I can still achieve the results and, and go from there. So I think mm -hmm. the balancing act employers have to have is I'm kind of keep spinning the wheel. People are leaving. I got to get more people in. But at the same point, I need to invest some time and energy and really improving our hiring process. Yeah. So one thing that Staff Geek is, you know, very big about is strong culture and leveraging culture. And so you've mentioned you've worked with 40 organizations. So those are a lot of different organizational cultures that you've seen. Um, have you, do you have any good examples of organizations that are doing culture right or something that you picked up that you're like, oh, that's that's really wonderful? You know, it's fascinating. You know, Lindsay, we, I was telling you that we had this uh, conversation with, uh, you know, staff geek the other day. So it's interesting. I think many organizations are aware of, you know, culture is a thing at our organization. And we kind of mm -hmm. look at it two ways is if I'm going to apply for a job, there's a couple of things you want to make sure. One, I'm a good fit for the job, right? And that's based on skills, interest, personality. There's this thing called job fit. And then there's also, am I a good fit for the organization? Because each organization mm -hmm. has different values, cultures, they operate, um, management style, all those things are part of the culture. I feel like We've gotten really good at the job fit piece. The trouble and where we're excited to work with Staff Geek perhaps maybe a little bit more is this organizational culture piece, right? Where many yeah. talent leaders may say, we have an organization, but they struggle to define it. And then when you define it, you have to understand then how to measure it, right? It's one thing to say, we mm -hmm. are a continuous improvement culture. How do you measure that? What does that equate to for a skill and a trait, something that you can assess in somebody? So I, we don't have the answer for that, Lindsay. I think it's one of those things where we always try to go back to the organization to say, let's go back and you really identify what that means for a culture. I know you can describe yeah. it in a paragraph or two, but what are those attributes, right? Or what are those distinct characteristics you're looking for? And then from there, then I think you can get into a little bit more of the assessment and the industrial organizational psychology of understanding. Well, what does that equate to? What what is a trait someone needs to have to align with the culture of this organization? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Marlene, this has been a, such a wonderful conversation. Again, I appreciate your stats that you bring and uh, just the, the information that is so beneficial to the audience that listens to this podcast. Um, it is very eye-opening. Um, it is inspiring. Um, and it's a new way of looking at things, you know, at least I would say within the, the past 10 years. Um, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to add about skills-based hiring and how it can benefit organizations? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity, Lindsay. I'm so passionate about this stuff. It's so fun to me. It's so complex. It's so nuanced. Um, and, and there's a benefit for both. So no, I just think, you know, at the end, I'd encourage organizations to, it can get really complicated to think about, gosh, how predictive is my selection process? Should I be using this? And, and it, could, it could be so confusing. And instead to go oversimplify it, to go, all we're trying to do is to say, how do we get better at making decisions, right? And what types of data, and what things can we do today to start you know, making some continuous improvement. So um, I just encourage anyone to, you know, continue to on this path of doing, doing better at what we're already doing. Yeah. And I mean, I have to reiterate uh, using data to, to support everything. Cause you know, I always say numbers don't lie. Uh, you know, we're all about uh, using analytics and metrics at Staff Geek. So it is across the board, something that can be very beneficial for organizations. Agreed. 
Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way to do so? Sure. Good. Um, I appreciate that, Lindsay. I would say you can go to our website. We've got more information and a contact us button. And our website is www.hirereach, which is H-I-R-E-R-E-A-C-H dot org. Amazing, Marlene. Well, thank you again. Uh, If you know anyone who is like Marlene, who loves making the workplace better and is passionate about it, contact me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.